0: Okay, if you turn them with me in your Bibles, as you can see, the ship's still here, so that's a good clue for you. We're still in the series. Ships, I wasn't sure. I told you last week I wasn't sure if we were going to still be in here, but we are. So I think this will be the the last week in our messages called Ships. And today I want to talk to you about the ship that taught you. The ship that taught you. So the first week we talked about Jonah and the ship that you got thrown out of and your disobedience. The second week we talked about Paul, and the ship that went down. The ship that you were in and it went down, it sunk, and you had no control over it. The third week we talked about Noah, and the ship that you are building and your obedience to God and, and that you're building something with your life. Are you aware of that? What is it that you're building? And then last week um, we talked about Moses. And the ship that saved you, the ship that he didn't choose it, he didn't put himself in the ship, his parents did, but we talked about the ship that saved you. This week, I want to talk about the ship that taught you. The ship, remember the ships, there's all kinds of ships in your life. Relationships and partnerships and worship and rock you to sleep ship. And ships that teach you. So today we're talking about a ship that, that teaches you. And we're going to go into the classroom or into the ship. And see what the teacher Jesus taught the disciples. So if you're turning with me, I'm going to go to Mark 4, verse 35. Mark 4, and verse 35. If you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read out of the NIV this morning. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. The other side of what? The other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they were on one side, and Jesus was preaching, and there was this giant crowd of people, and Jesus spent all day long doing ministry and preaching and healing people and ministering to their needs and and jesus was on a boat speaking like that was his platform because it uh for the sound purposes he could get in the boat and his voice would come off and up the hill and they could hear what he was saying but also it kept him away from all the people pressing on him trying to get a miracle and touch him and and whatever so they were already in the boat and they were down by the shore and jesus said let us go to the other side leaving the crowd behind they took him along Just as he was in the boat. He was already in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The boat was about to sink. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I like the fact that Mark, this is recorded in three different Gospels, but Mark took the time to let us know that he was sleeping. And he wasn't. it wasn't just like he was nodding off or dozing off. He was asleep on a cushion. That means he planned on going to sleep. Went and got him a nice comfy pillow and found him a good spot to go to sleep and laid down and went to sleep. So, so Mark made sure that he put that detail in there for us. He was asleep on a cushion. I think about Jesus going in there and laying down and, Y'all know Jesus knew they were going to hit a storm, right? Like, and he's the one that told them, hey, let's go. And he goes in. He's like, all right, guys, y'all, I'm going to go ahead and go in here and take me a nap. Picture him laying down on that cushion and counting sheep. 98, 99, 99, 90. I got to go after the one. Okay, stupid church jokes. All right. And Jesus fell asleep laying in there counting sheep because he's the good shepherd. and He was asleep. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Do you even care? Like you're just laying in here asleep. You don't even care about me. You don't care what I'm feeling. You don't care if I die. Don't you even care? That's their question. He got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. Wait, they were terrified? He already calmed down the storm. They were scared at first, right? They were all so afraid at first, but now Jesus already fixed the circumstance and stopped the storm, and now they're terrified. Like the word that was used there was they were even more afraid now than they were in the storm that they were thinking they were about to die in. And they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, that was a major point of Jesus leading them into this storm is because this is one of the first times or the first time that the disciples actually realized he's not just a prophet. He's not just a rabbi or a good man or a like he's actually the son of God. This is the first time as they're saying, who is this? Now you would think, y'all should already know who he is. You're on ministry tour with him right now. You just watched him heal a bunch of sick people and like you're traveling around the country with him like you should already know. But this is one of the first times they actually catch a glimpse of, hold on a second, he's not just a good dude. This is the son of God. I wondered as I read this story and as I thought about it and I was looking at different ship stories in the Bible and reading and praying about what to talk about, I was thinking, you think Jesus was faking, like pretending like he was asleep? I do that with kids and stuff. Like if you're playing with a kid and you act like you're asleep. and Because I believe there was a plan and there was a purpose for this. And Jesus was trying to teach them about their faith. And Jesus was trying to show them who he really was and teach them to trust. And so maybe Jesus was just laying in there faking. Like give me this cushion and lay over here and wait and see which one of them comes. And we don't know which one of the disciples. Who would want to go wake up Jesus? Somebody's got to go tell him we're all about to die and he's going to be mad if we all die. And nobody told him we didn't even wake him up and he just died. You know, my old boss, they used to say like if you're getting in a car wreck and somebody's asleep, Bob used to tell us that we should wake him up because my cousin rode with me to work every day and he slept every day. He'd walk and get in the truck, good morning, go to sleep. I'd wake him up in an hour when we got to work and they were like, well, if you're getting in a bad wreck, you need to wake him up. I'm like why let them wake up in heaven (laughs) like and so Bob and his brother uh, got in a really bad wreck on coming down I-20 coming to work one day and it had been raining and the road was slick he started hydroplaning and his brother Joey was asleep in the passenger seat they spun all the way around and somehow Joey was still asleep and didn't wake up, and Bob said, I completely lost control and couldn't turn, and we were flying pretty fast at that metal, I mean, at the uh, concrete wall in the middle, and he said, I thought we were either about to start flipping or we're about to smash that thing head on, and there was an 18-wheeler up in front, and I said, we're about to die, and so he reached over and put his hand on Joey and said, Joey, wake up, and as soon as he, he said, what? And he opened his eyes as they're coming right before they hit the wall. He said, sorry, bud, we didn't make it. <laughs> and they hit the wall and spun and flipped. And obviously they both made it. But Joey was really mad about that. He was pretty mad that he said, you should have just let me sleep. And now oh, you woke me up and oh, I got whiplash and you, I've never been that scared. Now you got to take me back home so I can change pants and underwear without saying the words that he said. It was pretty bad. Why did I go off on all that? Uh, you think Jesus? You think Jesus was faking? Like Jesus knew? Oh, the disciples. Who's going to go tell him? Somebody's got to go wake him up. You can't just let him die. And I'm guessing it was Peter because Peter was the big mouth. Peter was the oldest. Peter was the one that you know didn't mind. But one of them went down there and woke him up and said, "Don't you even care? We're all about to die." Maybe that's why they were so afraid when they actually realized it was God that they were talking to like that. But either way, I think Jesus knew what was going to happen. In Matthew 8, 23, Matthew records the same story, and he just gives us a couple more details. Um, it's really short, Matthew's recording of, this, of the same story, and Matthew was there. Matthew was one of the ones on the boat. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples... Followed him. Matthew wants to make sure we know that they were following Jesus. They weren't in this storm because of choices that they made. They weren't in this storm because they were following Jesus. They were obeying Jesus. We followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. So that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and they woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and they asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, Matthew lets us know that Jesus rebuked the disciples before he even stopped the storm. What we just read from Matthew is that he got up and said, you have little faith, why why are y'all so afraid? Like he got on to them before he even stopped the storm outside that they were all freaking out about. He addressed the storm that was on the inside of them. You know, a lot of times in life, we're going to find ourselves in storms. And in different ships that we get in. And different relationships. And in different partnerships. And in different churches. And on different jobs. And like we all get into different ships. Every day. And we're going to find ourselves in storms. But I want to point out to you today that just like Jesus was teaching the disciples, the storm that's going on inside of you, it's a lot more important than the storm that's going on out here. Now, Jesus wants to speak to the storm, the freak out, the rage, the whatever you've got going on in here, before he ever speaks to the circumstances, before he ever speaks to this storm that you're so afraid it's going to kill you or to your whatever circumstance you find yourself in, Jesus wants to calm the storm inside of you. So Jesus led them into the storm. Do you think Jesus can predict the weather? I think he probably can. He's all God and all man. Pretty sure he could probably predict the weather. I know y'all are, everybody seemed really hesitant to answer there, like, I don't know, I've never read that Bible verse that says he can, like, we're all, y'all seem pretty hesitant to answer, but I think he can. And I guess we're pretty hesitant because we have people that spend their whole entire lives becoming weathermen and women, and they get it right, like, half the time they have one job, and they say if a weatherman nails it 50% of the time, they're good. So you go to school and you spend your whole life learning this and how to read weather patterns and stuff like that. And you're like, anyways, I guess that's why we're hesitant to answer. But I think Jesus could tell the weather. When we had um, Labor Day, we tried to have a cookout at my mom's house last Monday. And some pretty bad weather, pretty bad storm came rolling in. And I mean, it went from like, sunshine eating lunch out by the pool at my mom's house and we were journey was picking teams for volleyball tournament and stuff and then all of a sudden it was like the bottom fell out before we could get the food carried inside it started pouring rain everybody's grabbing stuff and running in and running to different places and a bunch of us ran into journey's house with food in our arms and then some people ended up underneath the porch over in front of, of Zach and Heather's and I don't know where a lot of People just ran to different places because it started storming really bad and that fast. And I heard that in Journey's house where I was, Journey's pulling up the weather and the radar and stuff and telling us, oh, it'll be completely gone in 30 minutes. It'll be over in 30 minutes. But then I heard from someone that was underneath the porch over there that Zach was telling them it's at least an hour until it's gone. And he was looking up stuff and looking like, so I guess they're both... They're both weather people. I think it was just Journey didn't want everybody to leave from the cookout. She really wanted to play volleyball, but then they ended up playing in the rain anyways. And I, I didn't, I had to leave. But, but Jesus knew that they were about to run into a storm. He knew that's what they were running into. Like this was a valuable lesson for them. But first he had to calm the storm inside of them. The panic and the fear and the lack of faith. And what we just read in both of those accounts of the story was, and what Jesus said to them was, you're afraid you're freaking out because you don't have faith. You have a lack of trust. And so that allows fear to take over. That allows fear to rule your heart and your mind. It allows fear to control your actions. A lack of faith, a lack of trust or belief that God is who He says He is. That gives fear freedom to run things. I don't know about you, but I don't want fear running anything in my life. I don't want to be fathering in fear or pastoring in fear or I don't want to be driving my truck down the road in fear. I don't want fear running anything. So I need some faith to trust, to to cross that line of faith. Rarely ever is it fun in the storm. And Jesus took them into the storm to teach them a lesson. You know, sometimes to teach a child a lesson, a good father will let them deal with something hard. A good father will not swoop in and rescue them out of everything because they'll never learn how to deal with the hard thing. You have to, and and I believe God is a good father. And so he's not going to just swoop in and snatch you out of every single storm because then you'll never learn to have faith. You'll never learn lessons that you were supposed to learn in the storm. And so a good father's job is not to keep you from every storm. A good father doesn't just try to keep his children from getting hurt or keep his children from pain. He teaches them through it. He uses every situation, even if it was a bad decision that they made, if it was something they couldn't help. That, like, That's how God is with us. Hebrews 12.11 says this. Look at this verse in Hebrews 12.11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Nobody likes getting a whooping, right? Have you ever been spanking a kid and then they look back and said, Thank you, Daddy. If so, please stop spanking that kid. Seek help (laughs) for you and the child. Like nobody, nobody loves discipline when it's happening. Nobody likes getting in trouble. I am so glad you caught me. Thank you. What will my consequences be? Hello, Ossifer. I've not had anything to drink. Thank you for pulling me over. Nobody loves discipline at the time that that you're getting it. Nobody loves it at the time that you're receiving it. No. In the middle of it, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the discipline, in the middle of the lesson, in the middle of the ship that you find yourself in that's sailed into a storm, it feels like the worst day of your life. It feels like everything's falling apart. It feels like, God doesn't even care about me. I'm going to die. Oh, just like the disciples. Don't you even care? My whole world's crashing down. I can't do this one more minute. That's how we feel in the middle of a storm. When God's trying to teach us something and God's trying to grow us and Help us through it, but we feel like it's the worst day of our life. Nobody's sitting in the middle of a storm thinking, man, this is the worst storm I've ever been in. God must really love me. (laughs) He's got some big plans for my life trying to get me strong. Be honest, have you ever felt like that in the middle of a storm? You've ever thought, man, thank you, Jesus. Blessed and highly favored. (laughs) Hit me again. No. We hate it when we're in the middle of it. See, it doesn't feel like something good's happening. You ever had a parent tell you, go to your room and wait. You're in trouble. Oh gosh. That's the worst thing as a kid. Or my dad used to say in... I'm pretty sure I've heard my uncle Patrick there say that and people when I was growing up and a kid and friends with their kids they would say this I don't know if any of y'all's parents did but they would say remind me to spank you when we get home immediately I can remember several times that my dad said that to me and I because I would be acting like a fool and i I deserved it looking back I'm but He would say, remind me to spank you when we get home. Well, then immediately it starts this inner turmoil. I can't quit thinking about it. And then in your mind, you're thinking, if I do remind him, he'll appreciate me being honest and reminding him. So I might get less of a punishment or might not get any punishment because I reminded him. But... Then if I don't, he might forget because he forgets a lot of stuff and got a lot on his brain and a bunch of kids, and I'm not the only one that was being an idiot, so maybe he'll just forget and not, and then I can get out of the punishment. So maybe I just shouldn't say anything, but then if I don't say anything, and then he says, I told you to remind me. Now you're getting ten hits with a paddle instead of five. Like, ah, I should have told him. There's the storm that's going on inside of my mind the whole rest of the time. Like, remind, that's a horrible thing. Please don't, don't say that to your kids. And I see the looks on some faces. Like, what are we talking about? I'm really sorry. For all of you millennials, let me explain what spanking is. It's something that was done back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and then there were other things that we did too, like to get a trophy or a blue ribbon, you had to win. So I'm sorry if you were confused on that whole spanking thing there, but all right, just clue y'all in and fill you in for some of you younger people that had a blank look on your face. Spanking was getting hit for doing something bad. I know it's a different world, different times, but it doesn't change the fact that we find ourselves in storms, right? And we find ourselves being disciplined, whatever that looks like, or we've, we... And a good father will help us learn. A good father doesn't just keep us out of storms or keep us away from pain. And if we believe that God, our heavenly father, is this great all-knowing father that knows us and he's been with us even through our darkest times and our worst failures and our worst mistakes, that God knows us and he knows what we need. And he's trying to teach us. Um, I purposely didn't read you the second half of that of that verse. Read the other half that I left off of Hebrews 12:11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Later on, however, Like if we learned from it and we grew through it and we saw who God really was and we allowed the storm to take us to where we were supposed to go and we allowed him to calm the storm in our mind and teach us to control that and then he calms the storm out here when we learn how to control the storm in here because that's what's really important. But in the storm and in the hurt and in the unknown, It's hard. So a lot of times we question God. It's kind of our go-to as humans. We question God. Why do you let bad things happen to good people? God, don't you care? God, do you care about me? God, why would you let that happen to my kid? God, why would you let that... And we start to question God in the storm. You know, in thinking about all this and studying this, I was thinking about the fact that I'm a father and I know we've got some other some other fathers in the room and as I think about it it's not my job to keep my kids from getting hurt that's not my job as a father they're going to experience pain they're going to get hurt they're going to get caught in some storms in fact if that was my job then I'm a failure. I'm not a good father because my kids have been hurt. Right? Titus got both of his hands smashed two weeks ago. Almost two weeks, a week, a little, three weeks ago, excuse me, time flies. Three weeks ago, Titus got both of his hands smashed and cut and broke two of his fingers at work and called on the way to the emergency room and experienced a whole lot of pain. And then after he left the emergency room, tried to get some lunch, and his car broke down. I went to pick him up, and he was all dirty from work. Both hands were bandaged up. Car broke down. And I got out of my truck and said, Hey, he said, bad day. It's been a bad day. I was like, yeah, I know, sorry. <laughs> it was... But he felt a lot of pain that day. And as a dad, it's it's not my job to keep him from pain. If it was, I'd be a failure because he's felt a lot of pain in his life. All of my kids have. And so have yours. And I think if we start thinking of God like, hey, God, why don't you let me get hurt? Hey, God, why don't you let me go through that? Hey, God, why don't you? And then... We spend our lives questioning the question that the disciples were saying. "Of Don't you even care about me? Why did I have to feel this pain? Or why did I? And the reality is the job of a good father is not to keep his children from pain. Shoot, some of the biggest times, my kids have been the maddest at me and the most We've butted heads is when I was taking away their freedoms or their liberties to keep them from what I thought was pain. Oh, you can't do that or you'll hurt yourself or you can't do that. We all want free will. We all want to get to choose what we want to choose. And in that and in a broken world comes the ability to get hurt. God didn't promise us a, a pain-free life, but he promised he'd be with us. So yeah, my kids have been hurt. And as a father, it's not my job to keep my kids from getting hurt. Apparently, that's their mom's job. <laughs> I'm just kidding. God didn't say he would keep you out of storms or keep you from getting hurt, but he did say he would be with you And that he'll make it good. He'll work it all together for your good. You just got to have faith. How? You need to know who he is. And that he cares. That's what he was teaching the disciples in this story. Who he is and that he cares. Well, What does that matter? Because if you know who he really is and how powerful he is. And how awesome our God is. How, how powerful Jesus is. And then you also know that He cares for you and your situation. Like He cares about your kids. He cares about you. He cares about your addiction. He cares about your hurt, your pain, your abuse. Your... If you know how powerful God is and you know that He cares about you, that takes away the fear. That takes away the panic. That takes away the anxiety and the storm. That takes away just knowing who He is and that He cares for you. I believe that if you know that God cares for you, it will completely change your reactions in the storm. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him. That is That word is... Uh, Cast, unload or to dump like a dump truck would just dump it all out cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you you know that God cares for you and that's how we can release everything that we're holding we can let go we can dump it we can unload it on him see Jesus is the proof that God cares about us Jesus had compassion on the multitudes and on the crowd. It, it tells us multiple times throughout the Gospels that Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. That he saw them and he healed their sicknesses. He saw them and had compassion because they were hungry and he fed them. He saw broken people in a broken world and he had compassion on them. Jesus even broke rules to touch hurting people. The law said you couldn't touch lepers. And Jesus touched lepers and healed them. He he crossed that line. He broke the rules. The law said you weren't allowed to eat dinner with an IRS man or tax collector. And Jesus did. Showed up at old Zacchaeus' house and said, invite all your buddies. You know who his buddies were? Bad men. Crooks. why because Jesus cares and Jesus is the proof that God cares about who me about all humans good ones bad ones sick ones ugly ones broke ones broken ones diseased ones he cares look at Luke 7:11 Luke 7:11 This will give us the gas to get through this last part of this message here at the 7-Eleven. You'd think I would have marked it. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And as he approached the town gate, A dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. So she had no one. This was her only son. She was already a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. I mean... Just reading that, it seemed kind of rude of Jesus. This mom, she's already lost her husband. Now she just lost her only kid. They're actually having the funeral right now, taking him out of the town to bury him. And Jesus walks up and said, Hey, stop crying. Don't cry. Why did he say that? He cared. The Lord saw her and his heart went out to her. He cared that she was upset. See, not only did she lose her son, but in their culture and in their day, a woman without a husband or a son had no hope of a future. There were no jobs as, as backwards and crazy as that was in their culture, and their time. There was not even a way for a woman to support herself. There, she wasn't allowed to get a regular job. And so if you go read some of the commentaries and the history and all on their time and their day, she would have only had a couple of different options. She could have legally become a beggar and let her house and land and crops and any animals, whatever little bit she probably had, um, go to other men in the city and she would have been allowed to be a beggar, a homeless beggar, or she could have made the choice to sell her body and that was pretty much her only couple of options. She had no hope for a future. Not only are we dealing with, uh, like we're looking at a mother that's lost her only son she had already lost her husband she had nobody left but she had no hope she had no future she had no plans or dreams and and Jesus our God looked at her and his heart went out to her then he went up and he touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. With one touch, Jesus brought him back. With one touch, he gave her life, not only her son but a hope for a future he restored that so maybe today you find yourself in a storm and you've wondered or cried or yelled God do you even care and I came today to tell you yeah he does he sees you and he's crossing lines to bring you home You see, in verse 14 where it says that he touched the coffin, that was illegal. It was against their laws. He wasn't allowed to touch anything dead or anything that a dead thing has touched. Or he would have been considered unclean. And so as a Jewish man, as a rabbi, it was against the law for Jesus to walk up and touch that coffin. Jesus knew it. The disciples knew it. Everybody in the crowd knew it. And Jesus walked up and it it clearly tells us right there. Luke let us know. Jesus walked up and put his hand on that coffin. (gasps) The whole crowd would have gasped. That's against the law. He just crossed the line. He went too far. because he cared. He cared about that one woman. He cared about that one boy or young man. We don't really know how old he was. Enough to cross a line. Enough to say, hey, that rule's not more important than people. Religion is good at drawing lines. And making rules to keep people out. But true Christianity crosses lines to bring people in. As Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. Is bring people in. Not keep sitting here drawing more lines in the sand trying to keep people out. We're supposed to bring people in if we want to be like Jesus. Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we've all failed we've all been in storms we've all made bad choices we've all been in other people's bad choices we've like we've all had things happen we've all messed up we've all been in the situation where the disciples were where we've questioned God I'm pretty sure or where we've had no faith no belief or trust in the situation we've all felt like outsiders before, that we needed to be brought in, we needed to be connected, we we had no hope for a future, we've all been there. I guess what I'm saying is we all need God to fill the gaps inside of us. You can't fill them on your own. You can't you can't fill them with a substance. You can't fill them with success or money or fame or a jacked-up truck. We need God to fill the gaps and the voids. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to close the service today by playing you this video, if we've got it. And we're gonna pray. I want you to think about the promise of the Holy Spirit and Him coming inside of us. Warning. 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 Yeah, I'm a I'll pearl Grännen är hack i hela, påstår att jag honom, Jag vill ju vän, måste göra något Far, han är proletär, och jobbar sett, men har inte Klart, jag har mina för ju grännen, chose death and God cared so much he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son he sent his son to the cross and he crossed that line to bring us home Jesus said in John 14 if you love me show it by doing what I've told you I will talk to the Father and He will provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take Him in because it doesn't have eyes to see Him. It doesn't know what to look for. But you know Him already because He's been staying with you. And it will even be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you are going to see me because I am alive. And you're about to come alive. And at that moment, you will know absolutely that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. And that's what He did. The Holy Spirit came and crossed the line. And He got inside of us. So that we could dance again. That we could breathe again. That we could live and move. and Have a life that we could never dream of. When we see God for who He is and we believe in Him. He sends His Holy Spirit to come and help and comfort and bring life where there was only death. For some of you today, I believe it's, it's time for you to cross that line and believe God is who He said He was. You never believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins or paid the price for you. It's not complicated. You just say, Jesus, come into my life. It's not everything that you and God need to talk about, but it's the start of a conversation that will last the rest of your life. And for some of us, we've been in some storms. And maybe we forgot where to look or who to look to. Maybe we've been questioning God rather than trusting Him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. God, thank you that no matter what ship we find ourselves in, that you're with us that you're leading us and guiding us. And and just like you led the disciples that day, you know where we're headed. God, thank you for giving us free will and for letting us make choices. Because without free will, there can be no real love. And you want love for us and love from us. And so, God, we thank you for free will, even though sometimes our free will gets us in trouble and gets us in some storms, and and gets us hurt sometimes. But we thank you that you promised you would never leave us, and no matter what we go through, that you will work it together for our good, because we're called according to your purposes, because you have a purpose on our life. God, we thank you for being such a good God, and a good dad that loves his kids. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.